Believe in yourself, cause it starts with you And then everyone else will believe you too And if it looks like you're the only believer around Just keep on believing, don't put yourself down Just believe Our guest this week grew up in British Columbia, Canada and was granted an honorary Doctorate of Technology degree from the University of Fraser Valley. A Canadian technology entrepreneur, he founded 20-plus companies. Born with dyslexia, he didn't learn to read until 2021 at age 62. He's profiled in the soon-to-be-released documentary, which highlights illiteracy and is produced by award-winning director Nick Nanton. The co-author of Think Big, his name... David Chalk. And I'm Jack Crisula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. I'm Jack Crisula, this is Anything is Possible, and we're talking to a person with an unbelievable life, Dr. David Chalk. Doctor, welcome and honor to have you. Thank you very much. It's an honor for me to be speaking with you. All right, I want to start with a Long quote from Nora Chabazi. David Chalk is a serial entrepreneur. David launched more than 20 companies in his various fields, technology, education, construction, marketing, distribution, cybersecurity, smart homes, book publishing, business turnaround, manufacturing, and retail. He's responsible for having created the first open-line national radio show on the Chorus Radio Network for computer education. Also in the mid-90s, he substituted on speaking tours for Microsoft when Bill Gates was not available. That's one side of the man's life. Phenomenally successful. We want to focus on the second side of David Chalk's life. So, David, let's start. All right. Um, you were dyslexic. At what point in school did you realize you could not read? At no point. It wasn't something that I self-evaluated. My conclusion to my scholastic ability was that life was difficult and that I was not as capable of dealing with those complexities as everyone else in my class. And that possibly as I was told by the education system, I had a mental deficiency, and that because of that, um, scholastically, I didn't achieve. At no time did I truly understand or comprehend that the sub-literate, uh, my reading level, was the source of my problem. If you would share with us what the first couple years of school was like for you. I remember it well. The day I walked into grade one, my mother walked me to the school. We had just moved to the neighborhood. And I truly know that I was a happy, go lucky, laughing, energetic, outgoing child. The complete opposite of what happened to me over the next few years. She dropped me off in the classroom. She made a comment to the teacher in front of the class. We were newly from England. I had a, a strong English accent, and so did my mother. And when she spoke to the teacher, everyone in the class laughed. 
I didn't really understand what was going on. But because of that interaction, the teacher started asking me a few questions. Following that, she asked me to give an example of my reading. And, of course, when I say it to you now, reading becomes front and center. But it wasn't that. It's when I tried, when I started to read, I stumbled. And I said a few words wrong. And I can literally say from that moment in time, three minutes into grade one, it went downhill because I became very anxious, high anxiety. And as that continued to rise, I pulled back from learning. It became more difficult to keep up with the class. My reading did not keep pace, which I understand now. And I literally became the dumb person in the class. We're talking to David Chalk and... We're talking about illiteracy, America's silent epidemic. How did you keep moving through school without being able to read, David? Brute force. I, I loved learning. I had learned a lot before attending grade one. My mother was very supportive. That was really the anchor of my life. She taught me that as we were starting to go through the school process and I wasn't doing well, that the thoughts I was having in my head about failure uh, were natural and that I am not my thoughts. And the way to succeed and overcome challenges in one's life is to understand that you have to get out of the way of your thoughts. The term now would be deep present to what's going on in the very moment of where you are and don't let the negativity shut you down. So I had a balance I had to come up with. In school, there's one interview I did, it was my living hell. I would come home, my mother was supportive, we would work on homework together, she would show me that I was capable of learning. My challenge was comprehension. So I think in a roundabout way, I'm answering your question that for me, reading, I did know certain words. I could say them, but 95% of my brain was being used to interpret or pull from memory what a word was, and only 5% possibly was being left for comprehension, which meant at the end of the sentence, I did not have the capacity to understand the flow or the accumulated use of the words. It was one word at a time. So in reading a chapter or a paragraph, uh, I would have very little understanding about what I read. We're talking to David Chalk, and until a year ago, at age 62, he was not able to read. Illiteracy is America's largest and most solvable disability. And I'm Jack Rasool, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. Welcome back to Anything is Possible. I'm Jack Rasool. We're with Dr. David Chalk. I quote you now, David. My life was one of hiding. What's it like to keep hiding your inability to read? Yes. High anxiety, stress, so much so that it eventually led three years ago to um, 
failure of my stomach. Uh, with the amount of anxiety I lived in my life prior to meeting Nora and learning to read, um, the high levels of anxiety and hiding from that reality caused a lot of cortisol, which is a fight-or-flight chemical in your body, hormone. And the residual effect of it continuing over all of those years actually started to eat away at my stomach, and my stomach ruptured, giving me close-to-death experience. And in fact, that was one of the reasons why I reached out to a connection of Nora's to say, I think I understand what the problem is. I'm hiding from my inability to read, and in so doing, I live a life of extreme anxiety. People that can't read are blind to words. 85% of students in vulnerable cities fall into literacy gap. 54% of adults, friends, between the ages of 16 and 74, lack reading proficiency, which means they're reading at a grade level below sixth grade. Um, in high school, David, you took the toughest courses, but I quote you again, you say you were an elective mute. How did you get through those toughest courses? Because... As I've learned later, one of the beautiful things about dyslexia is a creative mind. The, my mind craves knowledge and learning. When it comes in an oral form, I have no issue with it. And in those classes, much of the work was oral, especially in science. I was challenged to read, and I did, I did okay in the courses. But what would happen to me is in doing assignments and doing the homework, the, the anxiety, the stress, and eventually the loss of self-esteem would make it very difficult for me to perform. I took the courses because I love the work. My mind craves understanding and science. My biggest or any dyslexic person's problem, and this is what people really need to understand, is they're not dumb. They're not stupid. We simply can't work with an education system the way it is structured, the way it teaches reading. Reading is not a natural thing. Speaking is a natural thing. Thinking is a natural thing. Reading has only been in our life, in, in existence, for hundreds of years. Therefore, we have to force the brain to understand how to decode information that has been put on a page in the form of letters and extract it from paper and bring it into our mind. When the reading systems were created 100 or 200 years ago formally, they did not take into account the way a dyslexic mind interprets information. We cannot memorize as well as a non-dyslexic person. If the instruction changed from print decoding to the, to the brain to understand, if it changed to what Nora at Ebley taught me, which is speech to print, if we can say a word, we can easily learn how to encode it onto paper, which is the spelling and the writing. Therefore, if we can go from speech to print, Reading is just the extraction of that information off the page. So the education system today teaches reading by showing us words, 
memorizing the words, showing a possible picture of what that word is to help understand the word, and then us basically memorizing the word. Dyslexic minds don't work that way. A dyslexic mind is very capable to articulate language. Show me a code to encode it on the paper from my spoken word, and I will be able to extract it. So for me, and this is you know, what I only wish for all people, all children and adults, if we change the way we taught reading to come from how to encode and then decode it, that is the reading, we would break through barriers and, and change the entire possibility of children and adults worldwide, North America, the United States, anywhere, because all minds and brains can learn to read that way. Now we look at a dyslexic child like myself or the millions of others that are out there, and then we can start to take advantage of what is sometimes called the gift of a dyslexic mind, the creative thinking. When we remove the barrier that was artificially put there by the education system that makes it difficult for a dyslexic mind to learn to read, we give them a strategy and a coding system that you can decode quickly, then those dyslexic minds can come to life and change the world. Illiteracy, America's silent epidemic. 85% of students in vulnerable cities fall into this literacy gap. 66% of students that cannot read proficiently by the end of the fourth grade will end up in jail or on welfare. I quote you again, you say, a person that can't read has a life of humiliation. How so? Oh my God. I can tell you exactly where it starts, where it started for me. Just prior to graduation, uh, I did graduate barely, probably on the um, premise that I should be pushed through. I was brought into the counselor's office and I was told, David, I have something to tell you that people like you end up in jail, on the streets, or dead because you will not survive in the world. You will be so challenged that your stress, stress will turn to anger. You will resent and push back, and that will spiral you in. That was the graduating talk given to me. A child that had every intent to live a successful life undiagnosed my entire childhood, never understood that I had a reading deficiency, only that I was possibly mentally challenged, the prognosis for me was failure in life. What those people told you is accurate for the vast majority of people that can't read. Recently, that same school named you as the most successful person graduate in its 150-year history. Where did you get the courage, the chutzpah, to not self-destruct? Yes, I've thought about that. And this is where I would reach out to all parents and caregivers and loved ones, that there is only one thing that truly stops a child from self-destructing, and that is love. And I had said it recently that when we give unconditional love to a child, 
it can help them and guide them through anything. So in answer to your question, the thing that I did have that the education system didn't realize, and I'm not faulting the education system, they did the best they could do. As you said, the results are the results. I was an anomaly. But what was different for me is my mother guided me, taught me, and showed me that believing in myself would have me overcome challenges. But I do need to qualify it. I became successful in spite of myself, in spite of the fact, low self-esteem, sometimes self-hatred, because in the back of my mind, I knew that the world was not stopping me. There was no conspiracy against me. It was only my own mind telling me and repeating to me what I had heard my entire childhood. And through her guidance, my mother, I chose to set a course for success, regardless of what I was told I couldn't do. So when you read that I was considered one of the most successful people, that's what a human being is capable of, regardless of reading, regardless of education, when they overcome or at least work with the self-doubt and the lack of self-esteem. If we could prevent that from ever happening to a child, we would change the future for everyone. So I look at it that my self-esteem, my self-worth, my feelings for myself were terrible. However, I was given the strength to believe that if we can shut our mind down to the point where we don't listen to it in its negativity, and we go out there and do the best we can do, we can accomplish amazing things. And my mom called it getting out of your own way. So what I saw was life was not difficult. It was challenging for me. But as soon as I realized that regardless of whether I could read or not, regardless of whether I had dyslexia, if I just went out and gave my all, I could achieve. The incredible thing would have been if I didn't have that low self-esteem, if I didn't have that self-hatred and loathing, what could I have done? I don't regret anything that I possibly didn't do. What I do have sadness for and regret for is the fact that there is not a change in the education system so that other people don't go what I went through because for many of them, they won't have the support of a strong family member to hold their hand and guide them through it and give them self-belief, which can overcome much of that self-hatred. I've worked on it for years. What Nora did for me, showing me how to read and getting me over those final pieces, my life in the last two years has become the most phenomenal, fantastic thing that I could have ever imagined. And that's why I'm so adamant to help people understand that it's not just a lack of reading, a lack of the skill. It's what happens to a child when they can't read, the self-destruction. That's why ending up in jail or on the street is the result of not reading. The, the reading, yes, we can achieve by having it, but don't give us the reading and we self-destruct. We're talking to David Chalk who learned to read a year ago at age 62, and the man has now found true peace and joy in his amazing life. And I'm Jack Rasool, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR.
This is Anything is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Rasula, and we're with Dr. David Chalk. He's recently profiled in a soon-to-be-released documentary which highlights illiteracy and is produced by award-winning director Nick Nanton. All right, David, let's now talk about the miracle that happened in May of 21. God sent you a couple of angels. One was a man named John Corcoran. Tell us about John Corcoran. Of the few books I had read many years ago, one of them was The Teacher Who Couldn't Read. It gave me some peace in reading it that there were other people like me that had built lives even with a subliterate education. And following the, I guess, near-death experience I had um, from my stress and anxiety with my stomach rupturing, I had mentioned that I reached out to a friend, friend, and she pointed me to John and said, there's a person you need to speak with, John Cochran, uh, that David could probably get your life back on track again. We arranged a call. I spoke with John, a wonderful, wonderful man. We connected, and we discussed our lives, our challenges, how similar we were, and he told me of a documentary that was going to be created, and they needed, I'll use the word guinea pig, but they needed a subject who could be tested for subliteracy um, you know, by, by an official um, by an official audit, and then go through a program, which was Nora's Ebley program, which is speech to print, uh, a, a different methodology of reading. And if I was to take that program and willing to be filmed, they would teach me to read in a one-week period, which, my God, I, I was so broken at that time. Uh, I don't know whether I agreed to do it because I wanted to change my life or I really just wanted to see if it was possible. I, I couldn't have even, at the time when I think back, being told I could learn to read in about a week. I accepted it. I went there. I was filmed. So not only was I internally feeling humiliated by having to display my subliterate reading, I was tested by a government tester to determine where my reading was at. I went through the program. I broke down numerous times as I could see day by day my comprehension. It was almost a, a reversing of two scales. The stress of reading was being reduced and my comprehension was going up so that it, it literally flipped from 90 plus percent of my mental capacity interpreting words and 5 to 10 percent understanding them. At the end of the week, reading and extracting words off the paper became a 10% effort. And as I remember saying to Nora at the time, it's like watching a movie. It's not like reading any longer. You've given me a code. This is beautiful. In fact, we practiced by reading John's book uh, in her classroom. And what, what I saw happen out of that, I can only say it was a miracle. I, I could not comprehend it. And, and so for John to put... To give me that opportunity, it was a blessing. The fact that I was willing to do it was because at that point in my life, I had now, I, I, after realizing, after the incident that happened where I, I nearly died, I really wasn't sure what I was going to do going forward. I wanted to resume my life, but I knew now starting over again was going to be challenging. 
the reading opportunity came into my life. I was willing to do it publicly. I was willing to expose myself so that the world could see officially in a documentary that if I was tested beforehand, go through a week learning program, test at the end, and have the results public, that others seeing, witnessing this truth that came through would inspire people, education systems, to look at a new way of teaching children to read, and obviously adults for that matter. You know, I can't, it, it was, I can only say it's a miracle. I understand how it works because there's a code. And my life changed, as you said. I came back from that and tackled everything with a new outlook on life. That my last bit of self-esteem that I needed to get back inside of me, that final bit of self-loathing and self-hatred for the fact that I didn't feel normal, vaporized. John Corcoran, the author of the book, The Teacher Who Couldn't Read, I quote him now, adults that can't read are suspended in their childhood emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, intellectually, and academically. Friends, if you think, all right, Jack and David, a lot of people can't read, so what? Studies estimate that low literacy levels among U.S. adults could be costing the economy $2.2 trillion, with a T, a year. It's America's silent epidemic. All right, John Corcoran introduced you to another angel. You've mentioned her a few times, Nora Shapozny, the founder of EBLI, EBLI, Evidence-Based Literacy Instruction, EBLI.com. You spent six days with her in May of 2021 for about 10 to 12 hours, and she taught you how to read. And she recorded everything. That's a miracle. How? Because there is a way to understand the written word on a page. Reading is simply decoding. My background, much like yours, is in technology. Computers are coding and decoding machines. Before we can ever run a software program and use it, we have to code it into the system. That's what writing is, putting it onto the page so it can be lifted off, read at a later point. When we teach children to read the way the education system is structured today, we teach them to decode it off the page before they learn how to encode it on the page. It's like saying to someone, write me a software program and not teach them the language that they're going to write the program in. When you flip it around the other way and take that other side of it, what takes years to teach people how to read, how to decode information off a page without knowing properly how it was coded onto the page, takes years. Show them the simple code of 26 letters and 44 sounds, how those are encoded onto a page, and yes, it's like a miracle. Reading becomes natural. And that's why it could be done in so few hours. EBLI.com. Another option is beyondbasics.org. We're talking to David Chalk. And I'm Jack Russell, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR.
Jack Rizzula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. Anything is possible. 15 of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says, Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spohol. I'm Jack Rasula. This is Anything is Possible. We're talking to Dr. David Chalk, the founder of over 20 companies. So the one side of the coin, as he says, his life was phenomenally successful. But then the other side of the coin was he did it all while he couldn't read. And at age 62, Nora Shabazny taught you to read in six days. She recorded it. And you're highlighted extremely well in the documentary that Nick Nanton and John Corcoran worked together on called The Truth About Reading. It takes an unbelievable amount of courage and being very vulnerable, David, to share your journey to learn to read at 62. Why do you do that? I did it because the world needs it. We need to understand what happens to the lives of millions of people who suffer silently, some openly, by not being able to absorb information that can have them learn to critically think. And by critically think, I mean to be able to solve problems in their life, to evaluate and analyze things they need. When you can't read, you live in fear. You live in doubt and worry of exposure. When a child or an adult can read, they are free to move through life without stress and anxiety of what they can't do. Everything becomes a possibility. Couple of options, eBLI.com or beyondbasics.org to help. If there's a listener tonight that says, Guilty as charged. I've lived the life as you've lived. But David, I'm too embarrassed to make a call. I've figured out how to hide it. I'm just too embarrassed. What do you say to that person? My God, do yourself the greatest favor and gift you ever could and get out of your own way. What I was taught by my mom at a very young age. We could we could put it over to ego. I'm not talking ego as in attitude or arrogance. I'm talking an ego that we want to protect ourselves from shame. But that's what we are living, is a life of shame and hiding ourselves from our full potential. There's one thing I wanted to say that I think would really resonate with people, those that need to 
understand what the problem is in the education system and those that support the education system because there is so much time and money and energy and, and, and people vested in continuing it the way it is. It's called the Reading Wars, and the documentary does talk about it, that we are in a fight for the way that we're going to educate because it has been done that way for so long. But what I would say and what I would ask for anyone listening or anyone that truly wants to resolve this crisis in America is rather than focusing on the solution, we, we've talked about Ebley and there are other paths you can go, look at the problem which you have talked about, the crisis we are facing in self-destruction of people, the lives, the embarrassment, the humiliation, the self-esteem problem. Let's address that. And when we truly understand what is causing the challenges in our country, the the stress that is built into so many people from early in their childhood, if we address removing or stopping that drop of self-esteem, that, that anxiety, that self-loathing, and we address that that's what needs to be fixed, we will come to the conclusion that if we change the way we teach people to read, we can overcome that. Let's not just focus on what solution, how should we change the way we teach people to read? Because that fight will go on for years. Those are the reading wars that are out there. But if we take a new approach and say, what's the price we're paying? What is the problem that America is facing right now with subliteracy? It is self-esteem. It is stress. It is anxiety. It is the highest incarceration rate in the world for individuals. When we truly understand that cost, it will surface very quickly what a solution can be for it. So I'm asking people to really evaluate, should we be fighting over how we teach people to read, or should we be trying to resolve the underlying problem? Self-destruction. A person that can't read is blind to words, and illiteracy is America's largest, but friends, most solvable disability. It affects every one of us. David, recently you went through a box that you've kept through several moves, and it had over 200 cards and letters. What did those cards and letters say? Uh, it was a box, a lockbox I had kept from about 18 years old that I put memorabilia, and those memorabilia were mainly love letters that I had received from people over years that I knew were wonderful words that had been put on paper by people that cared greatly about me, but I could not read nor comprehend in a truly understanding way. Yes, I could see the words on the page, and I understood the meaning of words, but I could not understand or comprehend what was truly written on that page. And for some reason, over the years, I had put them all into a box and kept it locked. That box had been with me for 40 years. Upon returning from my reading, I was so passionate to take information in that in a, in a moment... I thought about that box that was locked away in my crawl space, and I brought it out. I opened it up, 
And I read through those letters that went back 40 years, and it brought me to tears of what I had missed out on, the happiness and the joy of knowing what those people really put down on paper. It was an experience I, I can't explain, but I was so grateful for the fact that without really knowing that what would ever happen with those letters that I had kept them, and it was the pinnacle of joy that happened to me upon returning and reading them and having the opportunity to live that experience, that emotion that was in those letters. Um, I don't know how to put it in any other way. I felt more joy and love inside of me from the fact that I got to experience that. Somehow, maybe, I knew that one day this hell that I lived would pass and that those letters would be the final key to the door that let me pass through. David Chalk, you've been phenomenally successful. 20-plus companies, books, speeches. But, sir... Your biggest success is to have the courage, the vulnerability to take on this ministry of exposing and eradicating illiteracy. Thank you for letting me share it. Please join us next Saturday. Until then, I'm Jack Krasula. Thanks for listening. And make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spawn. Believe in yourself.